The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. Why, hello there, and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter, kind of a spiritual journeyman and media producer type guy. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com. Joining me today once again is my co-host, Spiritual Rebel Sarah Bowen. Sarah is the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. How are you today, Sarah? I'm okay, Jim. Summer's coming. Is it? Is it? It was quite cold the other day. Okay, well, that was when winter was coming. <laughs> <laughs> Little Game of Thrones, slip that in there on you. It's all kind of confusing at the moment, but you know, we'll hang in there. It is. You know, I heard a term the other day that I love called climate weirding. I think we've got world weirding going on right well, now. Yeah, I'll agree with that. So um, have you been watching anything? I've been watching a show called Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Have you caught that? No, I saw the ads for it. What's it like? It's actually, it's great. It's about this woman who has developed this kind of superpower where people sing their true feelings to her in her mind, which, you know, of course, causes all kinds of havoc and She's she's torn between thinking it's a curse or thinking it's a gift from the universe. It's it's very funny and it's it's a bit spiritual too. I wondered how you would react if people started all of a sudden doing a song and dance uh, routine in front of you to express their feelings. What would you do? Uh, do you mean what do I do? But do <laughs> what do you do? Yeah, but all seriousness, I don't know. You know, I think um, as someone who writes right? There's always a lot going on in my head. There's snippets of paper all over the place, right? Of different ideas I've collected, or this is going to be an article or talk to Jim about this on big universe, you know, or whatever. So I I suspect I would be collecting all those other people, kind of like last week we talked about uh, reading is borrowing. Um, I suspect I might, uh, I might use that to inspire me. How about you? Yeah, I think I would sing along and people would say, think I'm crazy. But you know what? If it if the spirit flows, I flow with it. There's nothing else you can do, Jim. That's true. And I, <laughs> I, I think it's about the hero's journey, you know, to some extent, which we're going to get into with uh, with Tim a little bit later. Um, you know, hero's journey is woven into almost all our myths and important stories in our lives. And 
you know, I think uh, I think we all come across these interesting challenges in the world, and it's about how we react to them and how we not just react but create our paths. I like that. I think too, uh, you know, thinking about the hero's journey in Joseph Campbell's book, you know, the hero with a thousand faces. Uh, that kind of ties back to what you're talking about with Zoe's playlist, right? With these thousand faces or this amazing individuality that we all have. And yet our journeys have these distinct phases that we all share. Are you ready for dueling inspirations? Oh, I am. I'm so excited. You or me? (laughs) Oh, you go first. Okay. Another world is not only possible. She is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. Oh, that's sweet. Who is that? Arundhati Roy. Wow, that's beautiful. Can I give you another one? Yeah, it's a twofer. Twofer, absolutely. One more in. Sneak another one in. I used to be afraid of failing at something that really mattered to me, but now I'm more afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Oh. Oh, I love that. Who's that? Bob Goff author and humanitarian attorney. Oh, yeah. Sure, and, sure. And that was actually in the book that we're going to be talking with Tim about. Oh, I must have missed that while I was reading. Someone must have been singing in my head. At there the you moment. go. There you go. Oh, I love that, right? You know, it, where we put our thoughts, where we put our intentions, it ties back to some of our other episodes, right? Yeah, about absolutely. how important these things are. Love it. Yeah. All right, here you go. I have one. I didn't know I could have two next week. <laughs> All right. Common sense is the collection of prejudices acquired by age 18. Interesting. That's fascinating. Who, who said that? That's Einstein. You know, the guy had a good head on his shoulders. Yeah. You know, I love that. The, the collection of prejudices acquired by age 18. And what I, why I picked that today was we're talking about creativity and talking about what blocks us from thinking we're creative or that we're not creative enough or that Jim's more creative than me or I'm more creative than Jim or, you know, all these scripts that run through our heads. And, you know, we can fall back on that stuff that we haven't re-examined, you know, that we acquired before we were 18. And now that we're in our 20s, Jim. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yes. So we take that forward today while we talk with Tim too. Yeah, creativity is such an important topic. And what I love about Tim's book is he talks about it in all kinds of different fashions. We tend to have this, you know, idea in mind of what creative people are and what they act like and what they do. And creativity is such a powerful force that is exhibited in so many different fields, in so many different ways, that it's really, really important that we open up to that that philosophy. Agreed. And I think it's interesting, you know, we look at it from spiritual, we look at it from work, we look at it from, you know, within whatever our hobbies are, you know, there's creativity to cooking, there's creativity to what we're doing right now, right? There's creativity in our spiritual practices. It's, it's just everywhere. It really is. It really is. So you're ready to jump into the episode? I am. Let's do it. All right. He's back. Reverend Raymond Anderson joins us with Raymond's Corner. So this is a basic question, simply asking, what do we believe? 
What do you believe? What do I believe? How often do we sit down and simply ask that basic question? What do I believe? And ask it about a variety of things. What do I believe about scarcity? What do I believe about prosperity? What do I believe about love? What do I believe about hate? What do I believe about light and darkness? What do I believe about duality and oneness? What do I believe about God? What do I believe about myself? What am I? Am I an incarnation of God? Did God make me and therefore I am separate from God? Did God create me of and from itself, meaning that which it is I am? Do I believe that? Do I believe, namaste, that which is divine in, through, and as me sees and acknowledges itself in you, and it bows to its own grandeur and beauty? Do I believe that? Do I believe that God is everyone and everything to such a degree that I am willing and able to namaste to it? Even when it's someone that I don't like, someone who doesn't like me, someone who hates, they hate the person because of their skin color, they hate the person because of their sexual orientation, they hate the person because of their political affiliation, they hate the person because of their nation, national origin, they hate the person because of their religious background, do I still namaste them? What do I believe? What am I willing to believe? Simple questions about what we believe and why are important questions to ask simply because they give us the ability to explore and to expand. It is only the scientist who asks the questions that finds the answers. It is only the explorer willing to step on the boat or the spaceship, the submarine, the explorer willing to seek out new life forms and new civilizations to boldly go where no one has gone before. It is only that explorer, that adventurer who then discovers, are we willing to be such a discoverer? Are we willing to be that adventurer Are we willing to explore the depths of our own consciousness to find who am I? What do I believe? At the temple of Delphi, there is written, Temet Noske, know thyself. The only way we are truly going to know ourselves is through the process of self-exploration, self-awareness. And the only way we get to be self-aware is by exploring and asking. So asking ourselves basic questions. Do I believe the Bible is a metaphysical, allegorical, not literal document? Or do I believe it is literal? And either way, if it's metaphysical, metaphorical, allegorical, what does that impact? How does that shift and change my life? If it is literal, how does that shift and change and impact my life? The manner in which I think, feel, and believe, as a being thinketh in their heart, as a man thinketh in their heart, the way it says in the Bible, the way we anchor into our thoughts and our feelings changes the very way that we, as self-aware individuals, 
show up in the world. But if I never ask the questions, then I'm simply passing on some rote dogma, concept, or belief, and I'm simply accepting it rather than dissecting it, doing a personal exegesis of who I am as a living scripture, as a living document of faith, finding out what I am, what I think, what I feel, what I believe, and then living accordingly. So once again, let's ask ourselves those questions for today. What do I believe about? Fill in the blank. Pick anything. What do I believe about relationships? What do I believe about what it means to be humble? What do I believe about the ego? What do I believe? Now here's Martha Creek with a Unity Moment. Hi friends, it's Martha Creek, MarthaCreek.com. This is a series of a second look or a 10th or 12th or 100th look at the Beatitudes, the wisdom of Jesus and the teachings and transforming our heart and mind through new perspectives, perhaps new perspectives on the message. We're today on Beatitude number five, which is blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. In this beatitude, um, Jesus again reminds us about the idea of flow. And to return to that idea of flow, noticing that there's an exchange going on here. So if we give mercy, we receive mercy. If I give mercy, I receive mercy. If I want mercy, then I must give mercy. This is not coincidental. For the root of the word mercy comes from an, um, an older term, mer, M-E-R-E, mer, which also gives us commerce and merchant. It's actually then about exchange. So usually we think of the mercy of God um, when we pray, like a divine intervention of some sort, we pray, Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, give me mercy. Lord, have mercy. We also pray that prayer, some of us, as a confession, a confession of our own weaknesses or dependency. Because certainly these qualities are distasteful to a lot of moder modern people. Lord, have mercy. That prayer has currently gone a little bit out of style. But in this understanding, in this new understanding, that mercy is not something God has. It's not something God's going to dole out for us if we plead and beg and beseech God enough. But it's something that God is. So God is mercy. God as mercy versus God has mercy. And then exchange is the very nature of the divine life. The exchange is consciousness itself. Um according to neurological science and all things that share in a divine life through participation are fully in that both giving and receiving in that participation. So giving is receiving as an energetic frequency, one that we're aligned with, one that we're part of. And even though we can't even do something about it, like it's the nature of things. So all other approaches to energy exchange will cause a disconnect. 
It's going to cause disharmony in our life experience, a breakdown, if you will. So maybe Jesus, this is what Jesus knew as well and was teaching us in this beatitude. That it invites us into a deeper trust of that flow. Exchange is at the very heart of this understanding that there is no separation. We are one. Mercy as God. God is mercy. And when I receive it, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Then I can offer and be and express mercy as well. All right. New beginnings. Love to you all. MarthaCreek.com. And now it's time for our interview. Tim Sigelski teaches an honors seminar on creativity at Marquette University, which attracts students from across disciplines, including engineering, nursing, health sciences, business, and communications. His book, The Creative Journey, draws on Sigelski's course and experience as a journalist learning from creative people from diverse walks of life, including farmers, a children's author, a comic book author and illustrator, Pixar animator, and many, many, many more. His writing has appeared in Runner's World, Draft Magazine, Budget Travel, Adventure Cyclist, and The Onion AV Club. Tim's book is called The Creative Journey, A Timeless Approach to Discovery. Hi, Tim. Welcome to Big Universe. Hey, it's really good to be here. Thanks for having me on. It's awesome to have you. Uh, I, I'm really enjoying your book. Um, all the, uh, it, what it really fascinates me is that, uh, you know, you talk about creativity in many different aspects and in many different experiences uh, and, and many different lines of work and play and that sort of thing. I think that's really cool. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, so the content is about the creative journey and the hero's journey. And before we dive into that, we have a, a, some very specific questions for you uh, for sci-fi for sci-fi fans. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So, are you Star Trek or Star Wars? You know, um, so uh, both um, casually. Uh, I'm more familiar with the Star Wars universe. I'm not a hardcore Star Wars fan, um, but what I really admire is the um, you know the hero's journey goes through that like. I, I actually watched it in my psychology class, class in high school, uh, kind of diving through the archetypes, the Jungian universe, all that sort of thing. So it's really kind of a master class in learning about what the hero's journey um, entails, uh, the epic arc of it. Um, so I'm, I'm almost more a fan um, kind of academically of the Star Wars universe. Um, but being a, uh, a father of two younger kids, most of my exposure to the hero's journey these days is through Disney films um, oh, there you go. Yeah. and animation and that sort of thing. But I mean, I, uh, I definitely went through a Star Trek phase where I uh, watched a lot of, um, a lot of reruns, a lot of things that were on. Uh, I grew up in a rural area and didn't have cable TV. So just watched a lot of <laughs> what was on syndication and what's on reruns. Um, so I can't say I'm hardcore into either one of those, but um, I think Star Wars has done such a, a good job of just introducing um, you know, what the hero's journey is for, for the masses. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. Okay. So I have a trick question for you. You're, you're, into, oh, okay. you're into Star Wars academically, which is it? Yeah. Star Wars sequels or Star Wars prequels? 
you know, um, I, I, I've, the, the Star Wars prequels came out when I was in college. Um, and I, so I remember, like, I, I just have, like, good social memories of going, going to those with, like, friends. Um, so, like, it, just, like, purely a personal preference, I guess I'd say I have better memories with the prequels. Um, sequels I still have to get more into uh, as my kids get older, I think, is what I'm going to do. That's my plan. Good plan. Good plan. All right. So now let's actually get into the interview part of the section besides sure. the, the trivia. So um, the hero's yeah. journey. Can you just, I know it's not, it's not exactly easy to briefly encapsulate the, the concept, but can you just kind of give us an idea so we have a starting point for folks? Um, what is the hero's journey and, and where does that come from? Sure. So, I mean, you could kind of argue that the hero's journey is as old as story and as old as time. Um, there's lots of other ways to look at story arcs and how stories are told. Um, but the hero's journey is a very popular classic one. You can see it in religious myth and in religious stories in Greek myth and, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Um, and it really kind of, I think, came into sort of popular um, knowledge with Joseph Campbell, who wrote a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And he looked at all, you know, myth around the world uh, through time and, and found these different phases. Uh, and these different ways that stages were illustrated and, and came out and like these different themes came out and people, uh, the heroes um, who took many different forms, hence this hero with a thousand faces, uh, would go on these journeys. Um, he'd go outward, he or she would go outward uh, into uh, a, a foreign world. It could be, it could be space, it could be the desert, it could be, you know, the deep sea. Uh, it could just be someplace magical, the forest that the hero wasn't used to going um, and through this journey um, starting from what was just an ordinary world to something that was very different uh, the hero would encounter obstacles uh, it would the hero would encounter friends uh, potential allies sometimes enemies who became allies and sort of find all these different stages that would lead to uh, growth inward growth and, and external growth um, and now you know you see these you see this kind of journey because it's so it's so innate or it's so recognizable. Um, often it's just subconscious when we take these stories in, whether it's you know maybe a, a sci-fi movie, Star Wars, um, a Disney film. Uh, we recognize the stages and we know what's going to happen. Uh, so when I centered my book around the hero's journey, um, you know a big part of it was I was writing for a college-age audience um, and not necessarily an audience that was familiar with storytelling techniques. Um, so I'm like, what's familiar to everyone? What's universal? And one thing that's universal, whether you, you realize it or not, is this idea of the hero's journey and what you can gain from, from these stages. Uh, so when I, basically my approach to teaching this class and writing this book was, how can I take something, a familiar framework and apply it to creativity and show that everyone has the, this potential within them uh, if they're willing to take the hero's journey? So, I mean, you, you also address that, you know, we're all on the hero's journey. It's not, just a, it's not just a myth. It's not just, I mean, we could look at our lives that way. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's this parallel journey. I mean, you could, you could really at any time identify these stages and say, like, what do I need right now? What, am, what is my life lacking? Um, and it's both an inward and an external journey. You know, it might be very literal. You might be moving. You might be starting a new job. You might be facing a sickness. 
Um, you might just, uh, you know, hypothetically be facing a global pandemic or something. <laughs> so yeah. hypothetically, yeah. hypothetically, you know, we might we might be going through some sort of, uh, you know, challenge uh, on a scale, a global scale that we haven't in at least a century. <laughs> what would you do if you found yourself in something uh, like that? Um, so it kind of gives, you know, some some um, some framework and some ability to to say, you know, this this, this isn't a new challenge. Uh, both for me or for humanity, we've we've faced this before. Um, and what what do we need? What do we what do we have to do to get to the next stage? Um, when you can kind of recognize what stage you're in, um, you know, one of my one of my favorite stages is is gathering friends. You know, like who do you need for support or who do you need for a mentor? And if you know that that's what you're lacking, you can say, okay, well, this is a stage where I have to go and seek friends, people who are on the same journey as me, and they'll help me get to the next stage. Uh, so it's a way to kind of feel more secure in the steps that you can take uh, to get you ahead um, because this has been done before. You're not alone in this journey. There's others who can help you. Interesting. And you say, now when you wrote the book, you said this was kind of your Moses moment. What, what do you mean by that? And why, you know, why do you say that? <laughs> so it actually, that, that came from um, uh, a professor of mine, a mentor of mine. Uh, when I started um, the job I'm at right now, working at the university, um, almost 12 years ago, I was meeting with him in his office, and he talked about how he was taking a journey after college. Um, he went on, you know, a trip um, through Europe, and then he found himself working on at an orchard in, in Israel. And uh, this guy who he had worked with took him aside, and he said, I just want to tell you, you know, you're, you seem like you're a seeker, and you're, you know, you know, trying to find what your next steps are. And every, every, every man before he dies should have a baby, write a book, and plant a tree. And, and I don't think that those three things you have to literally do. I don't think everyone has to write a baby, you know, write a, or have a baby. <laughs> write, <laughs> write a baby. Or write a baby. <laughs> I don't think anyone should probably write a baby. That could be, that could be hazardous. Um, but, you know, so it's like, it's a metaphor for, you know, caring for the next generation, um, passing on your knowledge and doing, you know, something nurturing for the earth. And, and so, you know, for me, I was like, okay, well, I've, I've, I've been a journalist for a number of years. I've been an instructor, a teacher, a professor, um, a writer, a communicator. Um, what do I have to give that I can give for literally the next generation when I'm teaching a, you know, a class of college students? And so, you know, I'm like, well, I, I could write a book. <laughs> I could take that advice literally. Um, so I'm like, all right. So, you know, my professor who got this, this advice from a, from a guy who said he looked exactly like Moses in the Ten Commandments. Um, you know, like the, it felt like it was this like wisdom from on high. I'm like, all right, he's passing this on to me. I'm going to pass this on to whoever's reading this book. And, you know, what do they have to give? What can they create? What sort of legacy can they do? Because I think everyone's legacy to pass on to the next generation is going to look different based on whatever their skills are. Very true. Very true. All right. Well, we'll be right back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. 
we're back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Well, Tim, what's interesting to me is how you envision, how you look at creativity in the book. And um, it's all about creativity in our personal lives and, and how we can make that, uh, make that a reality. And you give some fantastic examples in places that you wouldn't necessarily know to look. Like my favorite story in the book has got about got to be about the wisconsin cheesehead hat i knew it was going to be the cheesehead jim i know (laughs) i I love that i love can you tell me about that sure um so one of the reasons why these uh these stories come from very different avenues of of professional life of personal life of what people kind of choose to do is i was teaching a class of very diverse majors you know i'm teaching the engineer i'm teaching someone who's pre-med i'm teaching someone business um, and I find that a lot of those students don't necessarily think of themselves as creative uh, when they're taking this class. And they'll say that. They'll put that, like, in their, you know, their first assignment. It's like, oh, I'm not a creative person, but I just wanted to learn more about this. I thought it sounded like a fun class or whatever. Um, and my goal is to say, you know, you are creative in whatever field you're in. Um, you know, one example, uh, the engineer who became the world record holding high jump um, because he used physics to create a new way to um, have the most uh, effective high jump, um, known as the, now the Fosbury flop, uh, which everyone now does if you're a high jumper. Um, but that was an incredibly creative act that was born out of engineering and math, you know, which what some people may not think of as traditionally creative. So I wanted to first find a way to engage my students who don't see themselves as creative and show them you are and you can be. It's just how are you approaching your field and your discipline in a new way you know, by being informed by these other aspects that you may not be thinking of as creative. So the cheese said, <laughs> so a lot of these stories came out of my former career as a journalist, um, where I interviewed, you know, I'm, so I, I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, and so a lot of these stories come from Wisconsin. And I, that was also by design, well, partially by necessity, because that's where I live. And that's where I told a lot of my stories. But also, I wanted people to see that, you know, creativity isn't just something for Hollywood, isn't something for designers who live in Brooklyn or whatever. Um, it's, it's all these, like, sort of, you know, Midwestern, you know, working class sort of, like, ways that, you know, you can approach your job in, in, with new eyes. Uh, so this story of the guy who invented the cheese head is he, um, he worked, you know, in a, in a manufacturing plant, uh, and he took, his, he took his mom's cushions and uh, he turned him into a cheese head because someone at a Brewers game, Milwaukee Brewers game, uh, they were playing their rivals south of the border uh, from Chicago, the Chicago White Sox. They were calling them cheese heads. And this was, the, I believe, the late 1980s, maybe early 1990s. Um, but they were using this as this like insult, pure, you know, pejorative term for Wisconsinites, that you're just a bunch of cheese heads. <laughs> so he's like, well, what's wrong with cheese heads? Who doesn't like cheese? Um, so I'm going to turn this into something that is a positive. So he literally became a cheesehead by manufacturing his mom's couch cushions in, into <laughs> a foam, uh, you know, uh, thing you wore on your head. You know, little did he know that it would become this phenomenon. It would become his life's work. And for the past, I think, you know, 25 or 30 years or something like that, um, it's become an industry. So like in the small plants on the south side of Milwaukee, you know, Formation Inc., is where all of the world's cheese heads get produced and come from. Uh, and they have these huge spikes every time the Packers have, you know, another good year. 
um, when they've made the Super Bowl or the NFC championship game, like Google searches for Cheesehead just go off the charts. They just spike. And this guy, when the <laughs> Packers won the Super Bowl <laughs> twice now in the past like 25 years, he's like, we couldn't even keep up with orders. People, our phones would be ringing off the hook constantly. Uh, people would just send us letters. They wouldn't know our address. They would just write Cheesehead headquarters <laughs> and somehow the post office would find them. It's like the you North know? Pole. So <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like the North Pole, but the south side of Milwaukee. And uh, so this guy's name is Rolf Bruno. Um, you know, he initially, you know, originally uh, worked in manufacturing, you know, uh, took couch cushions and it, it, it became this global phenomenon. So kind of, you know, going back, I wanted to show people like you can be creative literally anywhere. And she said, I think is a great example of turning an insult into this creative, you know, genius empire. And his mom was not happy about the cushions being uh, <laughs> ripped up from what I understand. No, not not initially, but I believe, um, and this is in the book, I think the detail is like the original ones he made with his mo mom's couch cushions now are in like the Wisconsin Sports Hall of Fame or something like that, <laughs> somewhere, somewhere enshrined. That is awesome. You know, it reminds me of one of the things you talk about that really, really hit me, Tim, is about the proximity effect. Can you talk about that and why it's important? Yeah, so, I mean, it kind of goes back to we have, you know, we live in, in bubbles. We live in, you know, people who are tend to be really like us, you know, tell us things we like to hear, want to hear, whether that's politically, spiritually, you know, um, whatever, you know, kind of like is in your sphere. Um, and the proximity effect shows that like, if you go, you know, and mingle with other people who have different beliefs, you know, different, um, uh, different thoughts, uh, different skills, um, how you know, and that's kind of the the small microcosm of our class where we have engineers sitting next to, you know, business majors sitting next to nursing majors. Um, you can get something creative just by that overlapping, by that mixing, um, and it, the, it it pulls, it you know, the it pulls people together, um, you know, with just kind of unlike different backgrounds that can produce something new and produce something different. Yeah, what's interesting to me is, you know, the interdisciplinary approach, because, you know, we're taught in a lot of ways that we're supposed to be specialized, you know, that we're supposed to, you know, if I'm a, if I'm in the medical field, I need to just concentrate on the medical field and just the details of that. But there's so much richness when we learn to gather just different ideas from different perspectives. Yeah, and there's, I, I think I talk in the book, there's a, a term called like neo-generalist where, you know, with our social media bubbles and our, you know, hyper-specialized majors and, you know, I get students who will ask me, I'm majoring in this, should I minor in, you know, something, you know, say something very similar? <laughs> and I'm like, sure. I mean, that will complement a little bit. Um, but if you can go outside your sphere just a little bit and see something different, be exposed to something, you know, that's not in your belief system, that's not in your specialized training, um, that's where creativity really, you know, blossoms and is nourished. So, you know, if we can do that in any areas of our life, we're, we're just richer to, to begin with, um, you know, certainly in a spiritual sense, uh, but in a creative sense, that's just one of the easy ways, you know, the easy victories to become more creative is just to get out of your sphere um, you know, out of your bubble and, and find something that's just slightly different. There's another one you mentioned too, that's a little bit about rules. Can you talk about your relationship with rules? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
So, um, you know, I, I think like, you know, if you're talking about creativity, people tend to think that that means there's no rules, that creativity, you know, is this like sort of chaotic, um, you know, anything goes, uh, unbounded way to just produce stuff, you know, produce something new. Um, and, and I'm certain that that does happen, but that's also a really hard way to go about producing something new. Um, so the, the thing that I, I admire people from people who are very creative is they usually have some sort of backbone rule system um, that then they use to produce more creativity. So a good example is improv. Um, you may think of improv, you know, if, if you haven't studied it or don't know much about it, you may think it's just, you know, just sort of spontaneous creativity um, emitting from these people on stage who have no safety net, you know, who are just out there and just creating things on the fly. Um, but in reality, like all of their games, all improv starts with very simple rules, very basic rules. And then within those rules, you can play and create something new. Um, but you need something to, uh, a foundation to just start with. So I have, um, you know, in the book I talk about, uh, there's two professors who wrote a book called Simple Rules and say, you know, rules are, are helpful if they are simple <laughs> and give us a little bit of foundation to start with, but all, aren't too restrictive, that aren't complex rules, that aren't, you know, um, rules that limit what we can do. Um, so one of the examples they used, um, religious orders like the Jesuits, and I was partial to that example because I teach at a Jesuit university, um, but they talk about the, um, you know, the vows that Jesuits uh, take, but also the order that they, and the rules that they follow, and they allow for, you know, changes and understandings and evolution and open-mindedness, um, and you need to have kind of both of those because if you have rules that are just too rigid, you know, that's the absence of creativity, there's nothing new. And if you have no rules, you have no friction, no foundation to push off of. Um, so in creativity, you know, contrary to what some people may think, rules are, are extremely important. They just have to be done in the right way and they can't be too overbearing, uh, but you need them or you're, you're not ever going to really get anything. You're just going to be spinning your wheels and staring at a blank page and not sure where to start. Well, I have to tell you that I had uh, two experiences with doing improv. One was a class where I was I was just spectacular. Everything just came to me. It was great. The other one was a class where I literally on the final day, I entirely crashed and burned. And, <laughs> and it was a very sad spectacle. So I think you're definitely right that you have to be open. And uh, I also think you're definitely right that some rules are not a bad thing. Yeah. And sometimes you can fall, fall back on those rules when you have those crash and burn moments and you have those, I'm not sure what to do next. Um, that's when falling back on rules and just going back to like the simple foundations actually can, can help. You said, so, you said something really interesting in the book. And um, I, I'm gonna, I think I'm quoting you out of the book here. Uh, to create out of, out of nothing is to be God. To create out of, out of everything that came before us is the essence of being human. It's you, me, and everything that came before us. I love that. What, what do you mean by that? Um, well, I'm glad you like that because I probably rewrote that section more than anything else. And um, it took me a long time to arrive at that, at that kind of moment and, and figure out, like, what is the philosophy of, my, of this book and of creation and of what we can do? And it kind of goes back again, you know, I'm writing for a target audience. Um, 
thinking about my my own students and it is an incredibly intimidating thing to think you have to create something new that you have to create something novel um, that you're producing you know creativity um, and so the kind of you know kind of again goes back to like that if you don't have rules you don't have a foundation you don't know where to start and it becomes you know very um, overwhelming and you end up doing nothing um, is knowing that you're not God <laughs> and you don't have to produce from scratch um, so don't think that you can't be influenced by others and use influences that others have started with um, and this is a tricky subject you know because like we teach students all the time don't plagiarize um, don't copy you know like do your own work and that's uh, obviously like an important thing when you're talking about learning um, but creativity is, is more than that it's blending you know it's blending influences um, and, and so I kind of wanted to start from that foundation and certainly not just my philosophy, there's lots of other artists and creators that talk about how, you know, there's that phrase like, and this has been, this has been plagiarized and copied and, um, you know, uh, changed over the years from T.S. Eliot, but like good, good artists copy, great artists steal. Um, and the idea of like you're stealing from multiple sources and blending together and creating something new. Um, and if you didn't do that, you're either a plagiarist or you're God. <laughs> so you don't have to do either. Um, you can kind of create from this foundation that others have set before you. Awesome. Um, you talk in the book about this being more like a travel guide for people. Give give us some insight on that travel that travel here with with creativity. What can we do to sort of spark our creativity a bit? Yeah. So when I when I wrote that. Part, that phrase how this is a travel guide and a travel guide that just sits on your you know sort of kitchen table or um, you know book book table it, it doesn't really help you at all you still have to actually travel you can't just plan for travel um, so I wanted people to realize that if you're reading this this isn't just telling you all you need to know about creativity it's helping nurture and move you along on, on your own journey of creativity um, and I was inspired by when I wrote that um, there's a Zen saying hope I'll get this right um, that teachings are uh, a finger pointing to the moon, but they shouldn't be confused with the moon. So teachings are a finger pointing to the moon, but they shouldn't be confused with the moon. You still, <laughs> if you want, if you want to experience the moon, you have to look at the moon, travel to the moon, you know, get out your telescope, study the moon, it, all all the things that you do to understand the essence. But it's not like you know, like you sometimes can get caught up with like the, the, the book, the message, and the message is just pointing the way. Um, so I wanted this to really be a companion and helpful guide to a journey. Um, but it's not just like, here's what creativity is, and that's all you need to know. It was more a, you know, way to get people out of their comfort zone and into a more interesting place. And, you know, there's something interesting you suggest in the book, Tim, which is to have people read one chapter a week and work with it. And you kind of have practices and you have your reflections. Can you talk a little bit about the structure of each of those kind of, you know, how do you expect people to, to read and use the book? Yeah, um, so I have practice activities, kind of a reflection in the middle of each chapter, and then a practice that puts into place what the chapter actually talks about at the end. Um, and I think like, you know, first of all, what's the point of just rushing through a book about creativity? You know, who wants to speed read creativity? Um, the point isn't to, you know, just gain 
you know, head knowledge is to gain heart knowledge and to understand the feel and, and learn. Um, so that was part of it is like, don't just like, you know, don't, don't just binge this book. Not that I think that it's, it's particularly bingeable, um, but, but try to digest it and see what you can gain from it over time. Um, and then secondly, um, again, kind of goes back to my own, my own class and the class met uh, either weekly or twice a week. And that gives you time to, for these concepts to, to sink in, um, you know, to kind of sit in the back burner and simmer. And I talk about that in one of the chapters as well as like, you know, creativity needs time to, um, to just sort of bake, you know, to like simmer and, 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 um, and these ideas kind of like come from your subconscious and, and, you know, just sort of uh, marinate with other ideas and other things that you've, you know, come into, into contact with. So I wanted to give people time and permission to, to sit back and to just see where this goes and where it takes them. Um, and that it doesn't have to be like just this head knowledge thing that you're speed reading through. I think that is one of the biggest takeaways, helpful takeaways that I had, because somehow in the back of my mind, I think that as a writer, I'm supposed to be able to get up, have coffee, sit down and write creatively for an hour every single morning, right? right. <laughs> Followed by a half hour of meditation and go to the gym. And that's just not how creativity tends to ar arise for me in some ways. So do you have tips for people who might have that blockage in their head of, I'm not creative or I can't be creative or, um, you know, is there any way to work with that, that limiting thought? Yeah. So, um, so I would say like, and I do this with my students as well is rather than starting with like I and me and I need to be creative and I need to produce, I need to do something on demand. Um, don't look for the answer, look for the problem first. Um, so we actually start with like, what are, what's the problems you want to solve in the world, you know, and then how do you apply your skills to it? So, you know, um, if, if you're, if you're an engineer, like, what do you want to do as an engineer? Um, if you're, you know, in, in going into medicine, like there's lots of problems to solve right now in medicine. So rather than thinking like, okay, creativity is this, you know, this label that I put on whatever I should be doing. Um, it starts, it helps to first start with like, okay, first, what's the problem? And then what, what skills do I have that can help solve this problem? Um, and it may look like sitting down and writing. It may look like, you know, poetry. It may look like, um, you know, painting on a canvas, but it might not. It might look like, you know, something you're designing, something you're, you know, plan you're putting together, strategy, people that you're gathering. Um, if you're stuck in one place, look at another stage and see what are the ways that you can help um, in ways that maybe you didn't think of before. Creativity. I mean, what you do, what you create in your, in your life experience, and what you do and what you create in your life experience can really carry on to places that you never expected. Like, I, I love the story of Emmanuel Bronner. Can you talk a little bit about uh, about what he did and, and what his son carried on? Yeah. So um, he is the person who invented uh, Dr. Bronner's magic soap, um, and he was way ahead of his time. Um, he escaped Nazi Germany, and uh, his family thought he was crazy. They actually did put him in, uh, um, at the time, you know, an insane asylum. Um, and he, he was a, a person who literally just got up on his soapbox, you know, <laughs> using um, uh, his, his oratory. He was telling people this idea that the universe is connected, and we're all, um, you know, there's one God, there's one love. And he would get up and just shout these ideas every, everywhere. 
Um, and people are like, well, who is this crazy person, you know, just, just shouting these ideas. Um, but at the same time, he's a really good soap maker. So he made soap. Um, and when he came to the U.S., uh, he, like I said, he escaped Nazi Germany. He, um, he started putting on his label. And if you've seen this now, it's still, still around in Whole Foods or health food stores or even just kind of regular grocery stores. Um, it has these labels that are just filled with words in his original philosophy. And, um, and that became his soapbox. You know, here's someone who he was shouting into the void, um, his ideas and everyone ignored him and thought he was crazy. And it turns out, you know, by making soap, it was the most effective way to get his message out. And long after he's passed away and his sons have taken over his company, his philosophy still exists uh, on this label of soap. Uh, and his son, who initially, uh, one of his sons who uh, thought that, you know, his, again, his dad was, was, was nuts and that he, um, he didn't know what he was talking about, but like, man, did he know how to make really good soap and organic soap that really took, you know, the company that took care of their employees. Um, he carried on his legacy and he saw that what his dad did um, made a difference. And so he, he was a teacher and then he took over the company. And, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of shows again, that like you're not quite sure where creativity, where creative journeys will take you, where they'll, where they'll lead. Um, you know, making soap uh, and, and organic soap, um, which was way ahead of its time when he made it, uh, ended up actually, you know, cementing his legacy and this message that he wanted to share, but at doing it in a very creative way and different than, you know, just shouting it from the soapbox, which is he thought initially that this was how he's going to solve the world's problems by just shouting on a corner. And it turned out the solution was actually much more, more creative and rich than, than he initially thought. There's a kind of a related thought where you talk about futurity, where you say you may not think of clean water as futuristic. Someone else may dream of a future where accessible drinking water is an everyday reality. You know, it kind of is interesting to me, this idea that's, that's wrapped in that create, creative journey of purpose or of future. Um, can you talk a little bit about, about that and imagination? Yeah, um, so I, I believe if I if I'm recalling correctly, that's at the end of the book. Um, and it, it is. It, I'm a spoiler alert person. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's really good. Uh, sometimes, um, and I actually debated, you know, going back and forth, starting at the end. Um, and you you do have to have a physical beginning and the end, but you know, in the hero's journey, it's all kind of a continuum. Um, and the ending is the beginning. And now I just spoiled the end for everybody. <laughs> but it, it's okay because. Because we all know that intuitively anyway, because of how deeply ingrained the hero's journey is. Um, but I wanted to, you know, and this, and this goes back to, this is what I actually give the students at their final exam. And I give them this letter and I talk about how, what, again, going back to the beginning, what problem do you want to solve? And, um, you know, what is it you want to do with your life? How do you want to, how do you want to be the difference? And, um, and you don't have to think in terms of something that's never been done before. You could just think about what problems still haven't been solved, what still need your attention, and maybe how could you approach it in a new or different way. Um, and so clean water is, you know, a great example. Like we, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who take that for granted. All you do is turn on your faucet and you get clean water. What's the problem? Well, obviously, you know, a large portion of the, the world's population doesn't have access to that. So maybe that's your problem to solve. Maybe it's not at home. Maybe it's somewhere you know, that you have to take a journey to go and solve. And there's great organizations like, you know, um, uh, uh, Charity Water that are solving these problems with, you know, simple fixes 
uh, and simple ways to address the problem, but new and creative ways using things like social media to, um, you know, mass followings and to mass donations and, and gather people around that problem. Um, so the problem that you solve doesn't have to be new. It could be very old, but what are the ways that you can, can think about, you know, here's what I, here's my gift. Um, here's, here's my talent. Here's what I can do. And here's how I can apply and fix, you know, issues that may be very, maybe very old, but are still, you know, still need our attention in our creativity. So let me ask you one more question. We've got about a minute left. Um, let me ask sure. you, you tell people to write their obituaries ahead of time. <laughs> Why? Yep. Well, um, because uh, we're really good at writing our resumes. Um, we have classes that teach us how to write resumes and people obsess over the format of their, their resume. Um, and what it says about them. Uh, but it, when you write your obituary, you know, it's a big picture thing. What do you want to be known for? What do you want to do? Um, who do you want to be surrounded by when, when it's all said and done? Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a challenging and it's a very, um, you know, uh, emotionally wrought uh, uh, project. But it, there's no better way to focus yourself and think about what are my gifts and how can I, how can I give them to others while I still have time. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tim, for coming on Big Universe. It's been great to have you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Now, um, your book is called The Creative Journey, A Timeless Approach to Discovery. Is there somewhere else that people can reach you online? Yeah, they can find me, you know, on all the social media channels. Um, if you just, uh, I guess, uh, in, just Google Tim Segelski or probably where I'm most active is on Twitter. Um, and I'm Segelski on Twitter. That's spelled C-I-G-E-L-S-K-E. -E. Awesome, awesome. And for more information about Sarah Bowen, please go to www.spiritual-rebel.com. I've got premium video courses and help people to create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. I hope you'll join me. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.